The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, from the 10th chapter. Our Gospel this morning is indeed from St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and can be found on page 1572 in your Pew Bible. Mark records, Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. What? Do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. There is such great irony in the gospel lesson that I see, and I, I, I like it. That irony is is that the blind man is the only one who really gets it. The blind man is the one who sees. The one who sees the promised son of David, the Messiah in the flesh. So what is it that everyone else doesn't seem to get. Well, it may be the whole son of David thing that he was crying out, but I don't think that's it, because even though some have argued over time, that phrase, son of David, is in the Old Testament many, many times, and it always points to Christ the coming Messiah. And, and we know that the disciples certainly understood and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David, the son of the living God. Even the Pharisees knew that the term meant, and they used that term properly. So they would say, what do you think of the Christ? 
Whose son is he? And they respond very matter-of-factly, he is the son of David. Even they got it. They didn't recognize Jesus as that guy, but they understood what the son of David meant. It just wasn't Jesus, according to them. Now this means that the whole concept of mercy then, have mercy on me, then that must be the problem. And just for a a historical timeline footnote, this event is taking place about three days, just three days before Palm Sunday, and about one week before Monday, Thursday. And we might think by now that the apostles would get it. So when this blind guy gets to crying out to Jesus, the son of David, the Christ, when he cries out to him for mercy, the apostles, the ones who are out front, leading the procession into town or out of town, depending on which version we read, these ones are actually, they rebuke him. Did you hear that? They rebuke the blind guy for crying out and making such a commotion. Let me say that again. It's not the Pharisees who rebuke the poor guy. It's the apostles. Rebuke. You know, that's a harsh term. And what's really sad is that it's not the first time that these, I almost said knuckleheads, oops, there I go. It's not the first time that they did such a bad thing. Because you can remember that people had brought their small children and their babies to Jesus so that he could bless them. And the disciples rebuked the parents for wasting Jesus' time. Let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. So these guys didn't get it. And they certainly didn't get it in this historical account. The apostles didn't see what the blind man saw. They really didn't understand what Christ's life-giving mercy was all about. And the truth be told, this misunderstanding, well, it still abounds among many Christians today. Many modern-day theologians are quick to point out that the Greek words for alms and mercy are very similar. The word for mercy being the root word for alms. And if this guy couldn't possibly be asking for just mercy. Why? Because, well, he's a beggar, and he's looking for something more base and tangible, a favor, a handout. Let me just digress here. Maybe it's just me. But an explanation like that says more about the theologian than it does about the blind man. Have mercy on me, the man said, This guy doesn't ask for anything other than he says. He asks for mercy, period, plain and simple. Have mercy on me. Now, the Greek word for mercy is eleison, 
and it simply means to ask a superior to be gracious and kind to one who is far lower, one who is less deserving. But the truth is, even in that description, there is nothing transactional about this. It is not a quid pro quo. It is not, hey, let's make a deal. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And I'll notice this, that I said that the cry for mercy is made by one who confesses that they are completely undeserving of anything. The one who asks for mercy knows that they don't even deserve a moment of time. They don't deserve a glance, acknowledgement of their lowly existence. This call for mercy isn't a call to highlight the self in any way, in any shape, or in any form, but rather it is a plea for grace from the superior. It's all about the superior's grace. It's all about the superior's charity. Now, maybe that's why, if we're honest, we don't truly get it, at least not as well as we think to do, we think we do. Here's a case in point. People are reluctant to want to consider themselves a charity case. They think that that is a derogatory term. Sometimes we may need a little help once in a while, maybe a little hand up, but we're often too proud to take the handout. We're not charity cases. It's funny to go out to dinner with another couple and both men race to see who gets the wallet out first. You ever notice that? Here's the truth. We are all charity cases. Every single one of us is in need of charity and of grace. Now, consider the fact here that the Greek word we so often translate as love and I want you to reference, if you want to look this up later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's a lot of love in that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is also translated as charity. Now, not in the NIV, in your, your pew Bible there, but um, this is, in fact, how our Christian forefathers have traditionally translated this particular text. Now, the only person that I know that has a King James Version old enough is Bob. So go see Bob and ask him to open up his King James Version that his mom has, and it's beautiful. It's got mom's notes in it. Oh my gosh, you know. And, and, and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see if love is, is actually, they call it charity in there. Will you do that for me, brother? Appreciate it. Now, you need to give that some thought, you guys. I do too. I'm preaching to me as well. So this text is often, 1 Corinthians 13, is misused. It is abused. 
and twisted into some sort of proud statement about the love that we feel for our significant other. Okay, now look, it's great that you love your special someone. You're supposed to do that. But St. Paul isn't talking about you when he speaks of love being patient and love being kind or long-suffering or slow to anger, is he? Now, talk about narcissistic if you do think that. Nobody here does. I know that. He's, he's speaking about who? Number one answer in Sunday school, Jesus. Yeah. He's talking about Jesus, and not in a popular way that likes to see Jesus as our boyfriend. Okay? Some of the music out there that's being sung, okay, stick with the point, Pastor Ken. He is speaking about unconditional love, the unconditional love of God, love that sent Jesus to be our Savior. And properly understood, we are all charity cases in the eyes of God. God so loved us unconditionally, in spite of us, that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. He gave his only begotten son to redeem us. That is, to pay our wage for sin. And that wage was death. And he had to do that because there's nothing that we could do to earn or to merit such forgiveness. We have nothing, all capital letters, nothing to offer, nothing to give in exchange. In terms of God's love and mercy and grace, we all are undeserving beggars. Every one of us. Another little historical factoid. When Martin Luther, when he died, he had a slip of paper that was in his pocket and it said this, I don't speak German, but it said, Where sind all Butler das Istwar? I probably murdered that, forgive me, Martin. But what it translates into is this We are all beggars. This is true. A little slip of paper in his pocket. Imagine he pulled it out every once in a while to remind himself that the great. Reverend Doctor was just a beggar like everyone else. Luther got it. And through the eyes of faith, he saw his sinful corpse, reality, in the mirror of God's word. And through the eyes of faith, he saw and embraced the life-giving mercy, the life-giving grace and charity of the Father's love for us in Christ and because of Christ. So what about you? What about me? Do we see? Do we get it? Well, we just sang, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. Alleluia, amen. You see, Faith gets it. Faith 
opens our eyes that we know that we are all undeserving beggars. And we come to God with nothing to offer, nothing to barter with, nothing to exchange. We come empty-handed through those doors, undeserving of even a glance, justly deserving only the present and eternal punishment that is ours because of sin. And however, out of his great charity and unconditional love and mercy, God fills our hearts, he fills our minds and our souls with his rich grace, his wonderful peace and everlasting life. We look no further than right here and right now at the sacraments, the sacrament of the altar and the sacrament of holy baptism. Here he fills us with his body and his blood, his word and his promise. And through these, his means of grace and divine charity, he works miracles, miracles of death and life. His word penetrates the darkness of sin. It penetrates the blindness, the deafness, the apathy, the lifelessness, and it gives life. The blind are made to see, the ears of the deaf are open to hear, the lame walk, and the dead are resurrected to new life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is your reality right now. Either you get it or you don't. There's no prescriptions, there's no to-do lists, there's no tricks or gimmicks to help you find your purpose or your way to leading your best life, or at least a more fulfilling or rewarding or pleasure-filled life. No, no, no. None of that. And those of you who by faith get it, you understand, and you thank God that you do. Lord, have mercy. We cry out. Lord, have mercy. And he does on you, his children. The word rightly taught at the sacraments rightly administered. One more time. The word rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. You see, Faith sees this, and faith can't help but cry out in humble thanksgiving. Faith wants all the Christocentric charity and mercy and grace that it can get. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's a faith that gets it. That's a faith that sees and holds fast to Christ. In a few minutes, I will say to you, here is Christ. Here is the Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God. Here is the one and only way. Here is the font, the source, the terminus of all divine goodness, grace, love, and peace. Here is God, right here. And he's promised you that he would be 
that he would never leave you nor forsake you. He's here in the elements, on, above, and side by side with you always, with you right now, bestowing on you his full measure of merciful charity, merciful charity that walked all that way and on the way of the cross that no one else could, walking that you and for you, making full and complete payment for you with the sacrifice of his body and his blood on the altar of his cross. And in that divine act, that act of incomprehensible charity, he declared this, it is finished. It is finished. And this same victorious and charitable Savior comes to you today with that same victorious, that same charitable body and blood. Why? Because he loves you. And that's something to say, hallelujah, hosanna, hosanna in the highest. And blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. These are the things that faith causes us to cry out. And it's either you get it or you don't. And those who have ears to hear, hear. Hear and cry out in thanks and praise. For your Lord has answered your prayers even before you even asked. He has had mercy on you in Christ, through Christ, and because of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.